I am so glad to be here with you all today. I woke up this morning just feeling so grateful. I don't know how often you do it, but sometimes when I look back over my life and I see the great things that God has done for me, for his own reasons that are completely beyond my understanding, my heart is filled with gratitude and appreciation to be one of those called and elected by our Father God to his Son, Jesus Christ, and I just feel grateful today. Father God, we come before you in simplicity and in reverence, with gratitude and thanksgiving for all the wonderful things you have done. For every problem, Lord God, that you've brought us through, for every lesson that you've taught us, for sitting with us on the dark days of our lives, for being with us in days of joy and cheer. We thank you for every memory, for every remembrance of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, for keeping us company when we felt alone, for healing us when we were sick, for giving us peace when the world all around us seemed to be on fire. We thank you today. With our hands lifted up and with our mouths filled with praise, we say thank you. Be glorified today. Give us eyes so that we can see and give us ears so that we can hear what the Holy Spirit would say to each of us individually. As we confess right now that it's not by our own might and it's not by our own power, but it is by your Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Call me a slow learner. <clears throat> but as I've been reading through the book of Ruth over and over again, I finally noticed something that I never noticed before. Maybe you did. Maybe you're smarter than me, which doesn't take much. But as I've been reading this book, it occurred to me that in the book of Ruth, there is no antagonist. Anybody else see that? Anybody else notice that? There is no villain in the book of Ruth. There is no bad guy in the book of Ruth. I never noticed that before, and it gave me such a pleasant feeling. <laughs> Caused me to look back over my own life to realize, you know, not everything is bad. Not everything has been so hard. You haven't always had opposition. Sometimes life is good. There is no antagonist in the book of Ruth. There's nobody trying to kill her, nobody trying to take what she possesses. This is not a story about overcoming. It's a story about destiny. It's a story of how God works with each one of us individually through the choices that we make to bring us to his own expected end. Sometimes with drama, sometimes with no drama at all. There is no drama in the book of Ruth. Isn't that nice? Sometimes we Christians are so defensive and we are always opposing something or another, always anti something or sometimes it's just good to be peaceful. <laughs> and to recognize that this entire walk does not have to be a struggle. Sometimes we can just enjoy the ride. Believing deep within our hearts that God has assigned a destiny to each of us. And if we are wise and if we make good choices, choices by the light of his Holy Spirit, God will bring us, not necessarily to our expected end, but certainly to his own expected end 
for each of us. This is a story of destiny. Ruth <laughs> has a destiny. And now Naomi and Ruth have returned to Bethlehem. At the beginning of chapter two, during the barley harvest season, during a time of plenty, a time of celebration and festivity, they have returned. And the text says here that Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. And he was a man of standing. I like the way the NASB says that. He was a man of standing. He was a man who stood head and shoulders above his peers. In terms of wealth, in terms of rank, in terms of productivity, this was a man of standing. The kind of man who is proficient and dependable. And that's why he was a man of standing. He was a man who was diligent about his business. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 4, Solomon declares to us that the diligent person will be made rich. This was a diligent man. Therefore, he became a man of standing, a man of wealth. He was a man who was wealthy before the famine and after the famine and even during the famine. Huh. He was still standing. You've heard the words from Elton John, I'm still standing. I'm still standing better than I ever did looking like a true survivor and feeling like a little kid. I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Boaz's theme song. I'm still standing. A man of strength, a man of vigor, a man of faith. And surprisingly, he hails from the clan of Elimelech. Scholars assume that Boaz was a distant cousin to Elimelech, Naomi's husband. But whatever his position on the family tree, we can already tell that Elimelech and Boaz are two very different kinds of men. They were miles apart as it relates to how they handled crises. You know this, you can tell a lot about a person by the way they handle times of crises, how, how they handle times of pressure. You can tell a lot about a person when they're under pressure. Under pressure, Naomi's husband folded, but this man stayed the course. This man didn't evacuate his hopes and his dreams out of fear of loss, he held the course. This man adapted to his situation while Elimelech abandoned everything that he owned and ran away from his troubles. Two totally different men. Elimelech quit while this man faced the challenges of a harsh environment. This, this man, this man of the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing. Because this man understood something that Elimelech failed to realize. That God never tempts us above that we are able. But that God will with every temptation show us a way to escape. Boaz knew that. Boaz understood that. And no matter what you're facing today, you need to believe this, that there is always a way out in God. And if you are patient, if you are diligent, if you remain hopeful, you will begin to discern the way that God has made for you. And you'll be able to navigate your difficult situation with wisdom. This man of the clan of Elimelech was a man of wisdom and his name was Boaz cool name Boaz 
The name Boaz means to be swift, to be quick. And Boaz was a quick study. And his swiftness no doubt came in handy during the time of famine. He was quick. Where most people in Bethlehem saw a problem, Boaz discerned and was quick to capitalize on the opportunities that existed even in the time of famine. He was quick to catch on. He was adaptable. Quick to adjust to the changing times. To adjust to the change in his fortune. He was swift to find solutions. Quick to see and quick to take advantage of every negative situation in his life. He was quick to adapt to his environment. It goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, the West is in spiritual decline. We all can see it. The West, including America, is in spiritual decline, and it has been for decades. You can feel it. There is a famine in our land, a famine of love, a famine of peace, and a famine of God's word. Someone sent me an article by email from a Christian research group talking about the fact that the younger generations, the younger children coming up now are not being taught the word of God. And they're negatively predicting what our society is going to be like when this young generation comes of age, a society who does not know the God of the Bible and is worrying so many people because times are changing. And you can see it, you can hear it, that we are heading into a spiritual famine. But we don't need to worry, we don't need to fear. We don't need to abandon our hopes for this world. And we don't need to fight to resist the changing times. Listen, God's people are adaptable people. I'll say that again. God's people are adaptable people because we are assured that God will make a way for us to continue to thrive even in the midst of a spiritual famine. This famine that touched Israel came from the hand of God and the spiritual famine that is taking root in our nation is also from the hand of God. And we Christians, we believers, we have some tough choices to make. We can decide to circle our wagons and disengage from this roguish environment or we can adapt. And by wisdom we can learn to thrive even in an evil society. If Boaz were here with us right now today, Boaz wouldn't be focused on what is going wrong with the world. Boaz would be swift to adapt, to take advantage of this negative situation. God's people are adaptable people. That's what make Boaz, makes Boaz a man of standing because he knows how to access the favor of his God even in trying times. While lesser men are studying the New York Post and reading their go-to political editorials, Boaz is reading the word of God. While others are being induced with fear of the unknown and fear of the future, Boaz is resting assured that God has a plan. Boaz is quick, Boaz is swift, Boaz is keeping up with God. While others are focused on the impossible, Boaz is searching out new possibilities. While others are preparing for the worst, Boaz is planning for the best. In the face of this hopelessness, Boaz exhibits hope. And while other men, like his family member Elimelech, 
fainted in the blazing sun of the desert's heat. Boaz was finding streams in the dry desert. Because Boaz knew that God also dwells in desert places. Boaz recalls how God fed his forefathers manna from heaven so much quail they couldn't even eat it all and he gave them water in the driest place on earth. Boaz remembers what God has done. For that reason, Boaz maintains hope that if God did it before, God can, God will do it again. If God sent revival to America before, God can send revival again. I don't care how far we go off the path. I don't care how deep and how desperate becomes the spiritual famine in our nation. God is able to send revival. If he did it before, our God can do it again. Boaz did not fear. Though a thousand men fell at his left side and 10,000 fell at his right side, Boaz believed that if he just kept up with God, the famine would not come near his dwelling, and it did not. Boaz believed. Boaz was a man who had it all together. A man who had all his ducks in a row. He was of the same clan of Naomi's husband, Elimelech, but he wasn't cut from the same spiritual cloth. Just as all of us, every believer, is a part of the same spiritual family, but we do not share the same level of hope. There are some believers who stand head and shoulders above the rest. Those who are skillful in prayer. Those who are diligent in the study of God's word. Those who are proficient and efficient in their faith. And the only report that we believe is the report that comes from the Lord our God. Boaz is a man of faith, a man of standing, a man of wisdom. And so to get back to the story, Ruth and Naomi apparently have found somewhere to live. They found shelter in Bethlehem. And the Bible says in verse 2 that Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Ruth sounds like Boaz, doesn't she? You would have thought that Naomi would have been the one to devise the plan. After all, Naomi is familiar with the land. Naomi already knows the people. She has friends and relatives. She has a whole host of people who mean her well. You would have thought that she would have come up with the plan. Remember, the whole city went wild when Naomi returned. They love her. But even with all of this support, Naomi still couldn't see how she and her daughter-in-law could survive. We read her final assessment of her situation in chapter one, where she says, I left here full and I came back empty. I came back with nothing. I came back with nothing and I have no prospects. That's what she believed. Surrounded by a city full of loving and generous people, Naomi still could not figure out a way to find rescue from her dreadful situation. Naomi is impoverished. But her hardship is not a natural deficiency. Naomi has become spiritually destitute, spiritually hopeless. Her doubts and her fears have taken over and they are ordering her steps. And if left alone to her own devices, Naomi would simply curl up in a corner and die of starvation, having a pity party for herself, even in the midst of plenty, because she believes that she has been left empty. What was a famine on the outside has become a famine on the inside. There is an old saying that says, you can take the boy out of poverty, 
but you can't take the poverty out of the boy. Once poverty sets in in a person's heart, once a person identifies with their negative situation, it is nearly impossible to get them to see the possibilities that lie right before them. Naomi cannot see the possibilities that lie before her. It's all a matter of her perception. I was watching a special the other day about this group in Mongolia called the Reindeer Nomads. Anybody ever heard of them? The Reindeer Nomads of Mongolia. These are people who endure some of the harshest and some of the coldest environments in the whole world. Sometimes the temperature goes down to negative 60 degrees. Negative 60 degrees. These nomads, they live and they sleep in tents. And they walk sometimes for 10 hours, sometimes 12 hours in a day following the reindeer. They're surrounded by dirt and by filth and always around filthy animals. Their children are running around the filthy animals. And the interviewer asked the man a question. He said, sir, do you think that your life would be better if you assimilated into civilized society? And the man looked back at him kind of puzzled. His teeth were all broken living out in the middle of nowhere, he doesn't have a dentist. He looked at them and smiled with those raggedy teeth <laughs> and put his deformed hand up against his chin and he smiled and said, I feel like I am the richest man in the world. I have enough food, I have quiet, I have my family. I feel like I am the richest man in the whole world. Hmm. Is he the richest man in the whole world? By objective standards, the answer is certainly not. But he perceives himself to be rich. And his perception has more influence in his life than his reality. How do you perceive yourself? Do you perceive yourself as having the favor of God on your life? I don't know if this is just some special gift that God gave me. I have always felt like I have favor with God. I have always felt like God likes me. He doesn't just love me, but he likes me, that he enjoys me. Do you feel like that about God? Do you perceive yourself to be a man, to be a woman of favor? Because you are. It's all a matter of your perception. Hmm. That is what encourages me about Ruth's request. Ruth believes, Ruth sincerely believes that even in her discouraging situation that she has favor, that she can find favor. Naomi reads the heavens and she sees a God who is unfavorable toward her. But Ruth looks up to heaven and Ruth perceives that she will be given favor by God. Same women, same circumstances, seeing life, seeing the world completely differently. Two women who are cut from different spiritual cloth. It encourages me, it sounds very familiar to me, the way that Ruth approaches her crises. And what I love about the way she approaches her quest for favor is that Ruth starts off small. Ruth is not going out of the door believing that God is going to give her new real estate. She's not going out the door believing that God is going to make her rich overnight. She's not looking for some miracle. Naomi will be pleased if any stranger simply allows her to pick up their leftovers in the field. She is humble. She is not greedy. She is patient and she is willing to go through the process from poverty to abundance. 
She's not looking for a quick fix and she's not looking for a handout. She believes that her God will provide all of her needs according to his riches and glory. And she is willing to start off small like a grain of mustard seed. These are the kinds of people, brothers and sisters. Hear me clearly. These are the kinds of people that God trusts the most. I'm going to ask you a question. Maybe you've never, never been asked this question before. Does God trust you? That's homework for this week. Does God trust you? Can God trust you with his riches? <laughs> Can God trust you with his favor? Can God trust you with his anointing? Can God trust you? God trusts humble people. God trusts people who have no big aspirations and no big ambitions, but are simply here to serve his name. God trusts those kinds of people with everything that he has. The humble. Ah. <laughs> These are the kinds of people that God trusts. All of us are saved. All of us are delivered. All of us have been rescued, certainly. But can I tell you a secret? God doesn't trust all of us. Trust is not something you get by favor. Trust is something in God's kingdom that you earn. How do you earn it? You earn it by being faithful, by being diligent, by staying humble, by never lifting yourself up in pride, huh. by surrendering, by yielding, by holding on to everything in this world loosely, always willing to let go of whatever God requires. Huh. These are the people to whom God entrusts his anointing. Paul the Apostle said, therefore, being found trustworthy, God has appointed me to be an apostle of the, being found trustworthy. I didn't run when, when the going got tough. I didn't quit when I got upset. I didn't falter when things didn't go my way. I didn't become disappointed to the point of depression just because God gave me a disadvantage. No, 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 I stayed with him. I stuck with him through it all. These are the kinds of people that God entrusts with his ministry. Can God trust you? People who are humble. People who do not view themselves as being entitled to anything. And people who readily confess that whatever good that has come into their hands has come to them by God's decree, because of God's favor, not by my own might, not by my own power, but by the favor of my God. Let me go and glean in the fields of whomever, in whomever eyes I find favor. Naomi looks at her with her negative self. Naomi looks at her and says, go ahead, my daughter. That's what she said. Didn't give her any idea, go to this field. I know them over there, go to their field. They'll let you, she didn't give her any advice. Go ahead, my daughter, go. Go on out there and learn the hard way that life isn't fair. And if life isn't fair to me and I'm a Jew, imagine how much more difficult it's going to be for you when you're a Moabite. Go ahead, daughter, go ahead. It's time for you to learn the lesson the hard way. Go ahead, my daughter, with your big ideas and your optimistic outlook. Go ahead, daughter. Go on out there and find out just how hard life can be. Go ahead out there and find out that nobody cares about you and that our family has no favor, neither with man nor with God. Go ahead, my daughter. It's time for you to learn the lesson. In verse 3, Naomi, uh, Ruth went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. She took the risk. She humbled herself. 
And it worked out for Ruth on her first try. And the cynical lesson that I learned from this is to never listen to the Naomi's in your life. Never listen to the Naomi's in your life. Never take advice from people who always see the glass as half empty and cannot see that the glass is also half full. Never take advice from doubting people. They will make you afraid and keep you afraid to try anything new. They will make you afraid. They will make you fear to walk out on faith alone. Never listen to the Naomi's in your life. When I was a younger man sitting up all night reading my books, studying my theology books, and going down to Moody Bible Institute, getting their syllabus and buying all the books in the syllabus, and, and, and I would have family members come to my house and say, Man, what's wrong with you? It's one o'clock in the morning. You're still up reading books. You have to go to work in the morning. What's wrong with you? It's not going to work out for you. I'm telling you, you better stop this. My, my, my mother came to my house and said, son, son, people don't read the whole book in college. You don't have to do all of that. What's wrong with you? I didn't take that advice. No, 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 I didn't take that. She meant well. She meant, she meant well. And I'm sure from the outside it looked strange to see somebody coming in from work and sitting down at a desk and not moving again until three o'clock in the morning. I'm sure it looked strange to a lot of people. I did that for 10 years. Yeah. In the face of doubters and fear mongers, and those who said, man, you're not going anywhere. What are you doing with your life? Never listen to the Naomi's in your life. Listen for the voice of God. Follow his lead, no matter how strange it makes you look, no matter how strange it makes you seem. Follow God. Hmm. Oh, my. Naomi took the risk. But let me say on the other side of that, to make it more practical here, uh, there is also a time for being cautious. It's not always good to run out taking all kinds of risks. I've been a risk taker since I was 16 years old. I've been living on the edge since I was a young man, always risking, but I'm getting older now and God is starting to say, okay, Calvin, you don't, you don't always have to take risks. Sometimes you can use a little caution. It may not always be the best time to sow. It may not always be the right time to reap. But Solomon makes an observation in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse four. And Solomon says this, Whoever watches the wind will never plant. And whoever looks at the clouds will never reap. In other words, the person who will not invest until everything is perfect, until everything is just right, that person will never build anything of lasting value. The person who needs all the stars to line up in alignment, that person will never sow. That person will never risk anything. Hmm. They'll be comfortable in their spiritual mediocrity. Ruth is not worrying about how God is going to make a way for her. That is not her concern. Ruth takes her faith and she puts her faith to work. And it all worked out. And then the Bible says this, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. You have to appreciate the subtlety of the Holy Spirit right here, the way that he said. You know, as it turned out, by some strange coincidence, wink, wink. <laughs> I like the way he does that. By some, you know, by some strange coincidence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just happened to be working in the field of her husband's family. 
By some strange coincidence, she finds herself on her own family's farm. Isn't that peculiar? While she's out there working, just then the Bible says in verse 4, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. I love that. The Lord be with you. If, if, if a boss comes in and says that to you today, he'll probably be fired for harassment. <laughs> the Lord be with you. Boaz is a man of God. He is a man of standing and a man of understanding. And Boaz understands that every good and every perfect gift that is under his power has come to him from his God. The Lord be with you. Not only that, not only that, Boaz desires to see his employees be blessed. Hmm. Okay, capitalist, hold on to your seats. I'm not going too deep into it. Boaz desires to see his employees be blessed. Most employers today are not like that. Most employers want maximum effort for minimum wage. That's the way it is now. They don't want their employees to be so blessed for fear that their employees will turn around and become their competition. But Boaz wants to see his employees be just as blessed as he is. The Lord bless you. Boaz doesn't fear competition. Boaz is not concerned about high turnover rate. Boaz believes that God has more than enough for him and for every one of his servants. Boaz is a man of understanding and he prays a blessing over them. And they reply something that employees would never say about most employers today. They reply, the Lord bless you back. The Lord bless you, boss. <laughs> the Lord bless you, man in charge. You can tell a lot about Boaz's character by how his servants respond to him. They desire that Boaz be blessed, even more blessed than he already is. That's what they think of him. And that is the kind of goodwill that must be earned. No matter what your title, no matter what your position in life, this is goodwill that must be earned. He has earned their respect and he has earned their goodwill. Which tells us apparently he must have been a good man to work for, right? An honest man. A man who was true to his word, faithful to his friends. And the man who was appreciative of everyone who had helped him along the way. He recognized that these people were the cause or partially the cause of his wealth. And he desired to reciprocate by giving them a blessing. You know, to, to, today we have those who are considered to be self-made millionaires, self-made billionaires. Everybody's self-made. But Boaz knows that there is no such thing as a self-made wealthy person. There's no such thing. Any person who is rich receives some help along the way. I get so tired of hearing people talk about how smart and how talented Elon Musk is. Can anybody agree with that? Oh, he's just a genius. Greatest thing since sliced bread, this Elon. This guy had to get, this, this is the genius among us. Hmm. I'm not jealous, no, I'm not jealous of Elon Musk. But every time I hear it, I cannot help but think how many smart men and women are behind the scenes actually creating and making all of these cutting edge products that he gets all the credit for. Think about it. Do you know the name of the head scientist in Elon's lab. You never even heard of him. The one who's actually doing the thinking and the creating and the building and the innovating, you don't even know who they are. You don't know anybody who works for Elon Musk except for that new lady who's over X because he told us about that one. You never 
never see him get up on stage and say thank you to all of these geniuses who helped me become a big, he never talks about them. You would think the man was manufacturing and producing and creating and distributing everything all by himself. Self-made. Boaz knows better than that. Boaz says these people are giving me of their life and of their time and they have made me prosperous and I desire the same for them. The Lord bless you. Thank you for helping me. I appreciate you. <laughs> this is a good man. I, I, all I'm trying to say is this is a good man. This is the kind of man we should all aspire to be. He's a good man. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys about what happened yesterday. Yesterday I went to a funeral of a, of a, of a man who lives in my community. I've been living in the same community now for eight years. And for some reason, I just met him maybe in February of last year. Maybe a little earlier. I've only known him for around a year. And when I met him, immediately we just came together and just gelled so well. He was a good man. It's hard to find good men nowadays. Men of integrity. Men of courage, men of valor, men of faith, men of God. I was so glad to meet him. I would get on my knees at night and thank God for my neighbor down the street. That's how great of a man he was, 75 years old. <clears throat> and I, I was saying to God, you know, thank you for bringing such a great guy into my life. I don't have many friends. I don't, I don't deal with many people. I like men of integrity, men of character, men who say what they mean, mean what they say, good men. One night we were riding along in, in, in uh, <clears throat> the emergency management vehicle, Halloween, and watching over the kids and everything in the neighborhood. And he looked at me and said, man, you know, I am so angry surprised me because he's such a good, well-mannered guy, he's such a nice guy, you're angry. What are you angry about? He said, man, since my wife died, I've just been angry. And I don't know how to shake it. And so I talked to him about the stages of grief and explained that anger is a part of grieving and explained to him the way to come through that phase by forgiving those who you think may have wronged you, forgiving your wife for leaving you. Forgiving is the way to get rid of anger. He took my advice and came down to my house about a week later. Calvin, I heard what you said and I took it to heart and I've been forgiving. Every morning I get up and forgive and I'm feeling much better. Yeah. And so together we worked through the final process, the final stages of his grief. And I was so happy to have a friend and then when he died, it occurred to me that he wasn't sent to me. I was sent to him to help him come to a place of acceptance so that he could die in peace. And he died with a smile on his face. On his face. Good man. He reminds me of Boaz kind of man. A diligent man, an honest man. And this Boaz knows all of his employees by name, as well as by face. He knows the people who work with him. So much so that he recognized there is one among them that he does not know, somebody who doesn't appear to belong. Verse five, Boaz called his overseer and said, who does that young woman belong to? Now ladies, don't get upset. <laughs> Who's that lady? does that young lady belong to? He wasn't talking about marriage, guys. He was asking who does she work for? Why is she in my field? Who is she? Where does she come from? That's what he was asking. It does sound kind of interesting the way he says it, though. <laughs> who does that young woman belong to? She certainly doesn't belong to me. I didn't hire her. Who does she belong to? What company does she work for? 
The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. And she came to me and said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Boaz is a diligent businessman, but Ruth is just as diligent. She's been working since sunup, and she's only taken one break all day long. She is strong. She is focused. And she is careful to take full advantage of every door of favor that God opens before her. And I wrote it down in my notes. Let me say this again and say this more slowly. Ruth is careful to take full advantage of every door that God opens before her. Nowadays, we have what they call quiet quitting. You guys have heard this, I'm sure, quiet quitting. When employees continue to put in the minimum amount of effort just to keep their jobs, but they never go the extra mile for their employer. Quiet quitting. I'm here, but I'm not engaged. Quiet quitting. We also have a lot of people nowadays who simply refuse to work, refuse to work at all, busying their minds about what is my purpose trying to figure out whether the work they're doing speaks to their overall personal aspirations. A bunch of lofty talk. I left that job because they don't meet my standard. Their principles are different from my principles. Hold on. Be careful to take full advantage of every door that God opens before you. It is God who opens doors of opportunity. It is God who shows you favor. And favor doesn't grow on trees. Now I'll say one more thing. If you keep on walking into doors that God opens and you keep walking out in protest because you don't feel fulfilled in your job, don't be surprised when God stops opening doors for you. This is for my younger people especially. You do not need to spiritualize your occupation. The Bible says that we work primarily to eat and to have something to give to those who are without. We work to earn a living for ourselves and for our families. There is no ideal workplace and there is no ideal occupation. If God opens the door and you step into the door, you should not walk out of that door until the God who sent you there gives you permission to leave. Favor doesn't grow on trees. And so Boaz, now he goes over to Ruth. and He says, my daughter, listen to me. Do not go and glean in another field. In fact, do not go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you get thirsty, Go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Ruth stepped out on her faith, praying for favor. And not only has God responded with favor to allow her to glean the fields, but God has given her more favor than she could have ever imagined. Her faith, her perseverance, her humility to ask and not to simply take, her diligence it's all paid off. And in the meantime, Boaz, this man of integrity, this man has met a kindred spirit. And he knows that there is something different, something familiar about this woman. They share the same hope in the same God. And they both share the capacity to take big risks, to trust God for great favor, a match made in heaven. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you this morning for your favor. Thank you for your loving kindness and thank you for your tender mercy. Thank you for every door that you've opened for us. As we look back over our lives, Lord, and we consider all of the choices, all of the decisions that we have made that have led us to the place where we are right now, we just want to say thank you for your guidance. Thank you for the counsel of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for ordering our steps. Father, we pray that you will give us pure hearts. That you'll strengthen our resolve to walk with you and to go with you all the way. To be faithful, to be diligent to you. To love your word and to love being in your service. You said in your word, Father God, that your thoughts for us are thoughts of peace and not of harm. To bring us to your desired end. And I pray for us, Lord God, that the choices that we make will always be in lockstep with your spirit and with your will. That we will not faint and we will not falter even in the driest and darkest of famines, but that we will hold on to hope, hope that makes us not ashamed. Our desire is that your name would be glorified. We place our trust in you and we give our lives to you. Be glorified in all that we do and all that we say, all of our actions, all of our deeds, all of our words. Most of all, Lord God, we are just thankful. Out of the billions of people in this world, you have elected us. You have called us your own. Thank you, Jesus. In your name. Amen.